when you focus on what you've learned from an experience and you start to integrate that in your life, that's another way of finishing the business is because mm -hmm. you're completing something, right? You're really yep. taking the experience you've had and you're really digesting it. You're processing it in a certain way to grow yourself. It starts right here, deep in your heart. Tom Rutledge and Dr. Alan Berger bring over 90 years of clinical experience to this important podcast, and they offer you a guarantee. You will gain something of personal value from each episode. And now, what matters most? It starts right Welcome back to Start Right Here, which is the only place we can start, always, right here. And uh, I'm Tom Rutledge, and with me is Dr. Alan Berger, and we're here to, to do part two of our unfinished business uh, discussion. We got uh, well into that last, last uh, episode and realized we had more to cover, and specifically more to cover was how do you actually finish unfinished business? Because you don't, really, but what do you do to give yourself some, get yourself some satisfaction? So. How are you doing today, Alan? Well, you know, I, you know, I'm getting ready for this big move to Pennsylvania. So I, I think I'm starting to create a lot of unfinished business that yeah. I'm trying to take care of. And it's quite overwhelming at times and just trying to put one foot in front of the other. Um, you know, we were talking just coming on the show. Man, there's a lot of moving parts when you're moving a family across the you know, especially when you got a, a there's a three year old and an eight year old involved, and I think I'm probably ten years old now. So my <laughs> wife's got to deal with that stuff. So it's like she's got three children. She's moving across the the, the United States, but it's uh, it's coming together. And you know, it's I just I have to remind myself is there's no big deals. If we don't get it all right, it's okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, you're not going to get it all right. That, I mean, that's the thing. There's, and, and and by the way, that's and that's a false measurement anyway. You know, very seldom. That's one of the things too. Is we get, I can get this right. It's like, well, we, you know, any number of ways we do things is right because what we're saying is, it's like you make a decision, and the way I always say it is, you know, one one solution becomes the next problem. You know, and that's and you know, and that's when we take the word problem out of the whole idea of being. A problem really it's like to just go like no that's what we do in our lives we solve problems we don't need to be always working to get to the place where we can dust our hands off that's right. and say okay that's done we, we have a little it's nice to have breaks but it's it's right. like uh i think it's, it's we're going to be busy as long as we're breathing that's it that's right on and see it's you know it's so important for me to keep that in mind is to not get hung up in having to do it a certain way all the time. I mean, mm -hmm. that's where it gets done. It was so funny. I, I thought of you this morning. I was reading this Warren Buffett, I think, has a new book out or something like this. Or something like Reflections um, for the Board or something like this. Mm -hmm. He's looking back over his life and some of the mistakes that he's learned. And it was so interesting. He said what you've been saying so many times. He used to set the bar so high for himself. Yeah. You know, so he would go into a company that wasn't doing well. And his idea was, I'm going to be the guy that turns this around. 
I'm going to take this on. I guess there was Berkshire textile mills or something like that he had. And so he just, you know, it was a company that wasn't doing well and he was going to infuse all this money and technology and everything. And it didn't work. Mm-hmm. And he said, what I realized is that I had set this bar so high for myself, I created a serious problem. And by the end of the thing, all the textile stuff was being really taken care of outside of our country. He says, these $15 million pieces of equipment I was selling for pennies on the dollar. I mean, one piece of equipment, he said, I paid $150,000 for, I sold it for $26 for scrap metal. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and he was saying, and you know what I learned at that is drop the bar. You don't have to take a failing company and make it great. He says, look for a company that's doing pretty good and make it better. Mm-hmm. He goes, mm-hmm. but I had this, this whole other idea in my mind that that's what I should be doing. And I had to smile because, my God, how many times have we talked about the drop big that should. bar? Yeah, yeah, agreeing <laughs> the bar. Well, it's, you know, I always and I think about that just simply as as, you know, if, if there's a if there's a flight of stairs and your job is you, you're going to get to the first landing, you don't take that in one step. I mean, you really do. You know, and, and, I, and the, the, the metaphor I use is, is the way we the way I used to do it and the way that I've seen people do it is 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 they'll take a running start at the stairs and try to broad jump upward, which is a little harder than even straight out. Take a broad jump, see how many steps you can get. And you get up, you hit the, hit, you hit, you know, the fifth step, you land on that. And then you look and you're not th- at the landing. So you say, well, I failed. And so you go back down and start again instead of realizing, you know, no, this is how I'm going to get there. It's that letting go of our belief that we can prophesy the future. Yeah. It's like, you know, you, you go into something and you think it's going to be one thing. How many times does this happen to all of us? And it you know, turns out, well, no, that's not what happened in this. I went in this, I didn't stay with this very long at all, but I met, I met Alan Berger and we decided to go over here and do this thing over here. I wouldn't be, you know, it's like, I, you know, I think I can think about that. Somebody can say, would you, you know, you, you, you admit what you did wrong and how, how bad you were as a husband in your first marriage. Uh, talk about cleaning up, you know, past stuff. We, 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 because you feel bad about that, would you go back and change it? I go like, no, I wouldn't change it because this is how I got here. And you know, and and as much as I can honestly have, I do honestly have remorse and regret for, for how I treated my first wife, Karen. And we and we've talked about that a lot, and and, and have actually stayed connected. But the idea is, I, I wouldn't be in the life I have right now had that had not taken that path. You know, so part of that is just realizing the, rea- the reality of the idea that, yeah, we 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 can't know what we're going to be able to accomplish. We don't set the bar too high. And the other is you don't know what's going to happen next. What you just said is one way of completing some unfinished business, because when you focus on what you've learned from an experience and you start to integrate that in your life, that's another way of finishing the business is because mm-hmm. you're completing something, right? You're really yep. taking the experience you've had and you're really digesting it. You're processing it in a certain way to grow yourself. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, and I think this is the one thing that, that, that we would say to, to you, if you're out there listening, a lot of people avoid doing that because of the pain that's involved. Mm-hmm. They don't want to go back and see who they're not. They don't want to go back and face the worst in themselves in certain situations. Mm-hmm. And yet, when you find 
that courage. And I think it, it is some kind of courage. I mean, you and I have, you know, you've heard me say this a lot, Tom, only the best in us can see the worst in us, right? Only the best in us can do that. And, and that's a bit of the courage, man, because when I start looking at that stuff, that's I'm doing myself a big favor instead of avoiding it. But that's the big thing that keeps people that I've experienced. It keeps people from growing from their experience. They want to avoid the pain. Right. Well, and, and, and right. And the, tr- and, the, and the truth is, our, I can say this about myself. If I want to if, if, if somebody says, you know, you know, free associate, talk about you know, what, what kinds of things you see in yourself as the best of, of you. It's like, it's, that's a big part of it. It's, it's the ability, the, the humility and the, the ability to, to, to go back and, and acknowledge those things. And, you know, and it's, you know, it's that thing that you, you quote my, my little nutshell all the time, you know, learn from the past and get the hell out of there. But in order to do that, you have to go in there. And, and you, you know, it's, it, it, I mentioned my, my first wife, it's one, this is, this fits into this very well, because I remember many years after, you know, we were divorced in 19, 1900, 1983, I believe it was, but we had a conversation somewhere, you know, after that, after many years, where we both done a lot of therapy and, and work on ourselves and both have been involved in recovery stuff. And one of the things I, that stands out to me is I remember sitting in a, in a car in a parking lot in Kroger, a Kroger grocery store, talking to her when we ran into each other one day and, and we were both remarried and one of the things we talked about was how the amends amends mean, meaning not to apologize but to change the amends that each of us made or are making in our lives the beneficiaries of those were her husband mark and my my wife Didi. and it's like there was there was just such a, it was such a that would never have had that opportunity to to share that uh, and i haven't even shared that part with karen but it's like it, that that just meant so much to me that we both could acknowledge that there were things for both of us to change i would argue that i had a lot more than she did but 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 she was she, she's a very resp- self-responsible person and the idea that we did take it forward and that i am a better husband husband um, for a lot of reasons, but in part for how, how poorly I did in my first marriage with, with Karen. And she said the same thing about her with Mark and it, and it's um, yeah. And it, and it, it is courage. I think what we, I think we have to do is get over the idea that, that courageous people feel courageous. You know, you know, you know, you know, you talk to people who do brave things. They don't, they don't, it doesn't feel, you do it because it's the right thing to do. You do it sometimes just out of, you know, if there's a burning building and there's children in the upstairs of that burning building, you and I don't stop and think, you know, about, you know, or, or you know, what kind of person am I, whatever we, 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 we go. We do that kind of thing. Is that a brave thing? Well, it's an instinct that comes from our value system. When we do things that are courageous, it means we're doing it no matter what. And that's more accessible to people than, than I think a lot of us realize, you know, because mm-hmm. you see, I, I think it's, it's this idea. It's, you know, I, I teach tennis on Sunday mornings over here mm-hmm. and I was uh, showing somebody this, um, this exercise you do before you pick up a racket to hit a volley, right? Mm-hmm. You stand in a ready position and a person tosses you a ball underhand. You step forward with your hand up with your, if you're right-handed with your mm-hmm. left foot forward and you catch the ball in front of you mm-hmm. like you would, if you were hitting a volley, right? It, if you mm-hmm. put a racket mm-hmm. in your hand, it's the exact mm-hmm. thing. And this, this woman that I was teaching was catching the ball underhanded. And I said, try to catch it with your hand convert it the other way because mm-hmm. I can't do that. <laughs> I go, interesting. 
throw her the ball and keep your hand up. And she walks and walks over and catches it. And she looks at me and I look at her. I go, so much for that can't, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I go, see, you don't realize is that when you put those limitations on yourself, yep. you don't realize that you have already now defined your reality. And if I wasn't there to push her over that, she would have never experiment with turning her hand the other way. She mm-hmm. would have kept doing it the other way, which was not going to allow her to really figure out how to hit a nice crisp volley. I said, well, let's try it again. She caught it again. I said, mm-hmm. so what do we want to say to that can't right now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she started laughing. I go, oh, it's yeah. great. Go, yeah. You got it. I mean, you got it. Well, it's, it's, it's an affirmation, you know, know, we we talked about this with someone on on the the Thursday night meeting not long ago where somebody was saying they, you know, they, they didn't like affirmations and all this other stuff. And, and, and I, and I took the, I took the man's point. I understood, you know, because when, when people are talking about them in the form of like, you know, say this 10 times a day to yourself, you know, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone people like me. It's like, you know, those are not going to be that helpful because, because, you know, the affirmations we're countering are, are constant affirmations. And, and I always point out to people that the word of affirm just means to make firm. It doesn't mean positive. It means to make firm. So if I say I can't, that's an affirmation, you know, and, and a lot of times what I'll teach people too, as you make progress and we could, we could plug this into doing, working through unfinished business too, but it can happen anywhere. As we, when, once we do something new, it's, we will often follow that with, with an old affirmation, like somebody would catch like she would catch the ball then. And she would say, well, that's really amazing because I can't do that. You know, and they, they, re, they go back to the affirmation. What I say is, you know, you got to change your language, which is something you and I talk about a lot. And it's like to change the language to in the past, I have not, I have not thought I could do that. You know, instead of in the past, I couldn't do it. What you taught that woman at that point was in the past, up until that moment, she actually believed that she couldn't. That's right. Exactly. And we can change it. Some things change, change like, that. like that. And that, she mm-hmm. changed it like that. And mm-hmm. see, and I, I yeah. say that because those of you out there that have wounds from your past issues that you think will never be resolved. And look, it, it, a lot of this can be the way that you've been trying to resolve the issues. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you know, people sometimes think of forgiveness as somehow letting the other person off the hook. Right. Yep, I yep, think yep. people say, I don't want to forgive them. They don't deserve my forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what I what you and I try to help people is forgiveness is not for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's not for them. It's for you is when you're forgiving. What you're doing is you're letting go of some of the energy that you got tied up with this other person. Oh, you called you know, the you know that that uh, you you you've you've used this with, uh, from my, one of my early books that um, says uh, the definition of forgiveness is forgiveness is not something we do but our natural state when we're not holding on to old pain, and so to me the forgiveness is about letting go and and you and you may forgive someone and they may and they may never even know it. It's like, it's also not always, it can be, but it's not always an action that you have to take with them. And that brings me to the point where one of the things, if we're talking, I think probably the main point I would want to make in this episode, when we're talking about, you know, what do you do about unfinished business is one of the big mistakes that people make is believing that in order to finish the unfinished business of the past of fa- family of origin or previous relationships or, or abuses, things like that, is that, that 
working through that and healing that has to involve the people that were involved in the, in, in the, in the damage. Now, sometimes we, as we know, because of the, if you're in a relationship with these people ongoing parents, sometimes that kind of stuff, you, you do choose to do that. But it, even in those situations, that's never where it starts. You know, it's, it's like, I tell, you know, the simplest way I can say it is I, you know, cause I told, I told somebody this the other day, it's like, you know, the problem you have here is not your, your mother. This was a 40 something year old woman talking about her, her mom, who's still in a relationship with, I said, it's not your mom, your mom's not the problem. The, the, the satellite, your, your mom planted that's, you know, this is the part where like Bob Subby says in lost in the shuffle as children were victims, as adults were volunteers, you know, it's like, no, you didn't put that there. You know, our parents really did whatever we got from them we, we those introjects i think i'm using that term correctly yeah. that we get from from them it's like it's like but but the thing about it is uh well and actually this came up i i remember the very first piece of work you and i ever did together was at that workshop we did accidentally in in los angeles and i remember one of the, the first things i did uh which which helped me know that that you and i were gonna we were having a good time together is Somebody was working with a message from her mother. And I remember what I did is I is you, you asked me what I would do with that. And I, and I got that inner internal voice that agreed with her mother to sit in the chair. And she, she had, she had already chosen somebody to role play her mother. And I just took that one and that person and stood her beside there. So, okay, that's the origin of your message, but right. the message, but she's not the problem anymore. The, the message is the part of you that agrees with that message. So if, 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 you know, if, if your, if your father told you, you were a piece of shit all your life, it's like, it's, it's like, even if, even now, if he's still reminding you of that on a daily basis, then that's not, that's a problem that needs to be resolved with good boundaries. And we'll get to that. But the first thing you have to do is find out that part of you that agrees with that negative message. That's where that multiplicity as opposed to singularity comes in. And the idea is these are actually, these, these are boundaries, just like interpersonal relationships. We have to have boundaries you know, I mean, the way I say it is that the part of me that's, that can still at times attack me, this character in my head, he greets me by saying, fuck you. That's how, that's how he comes into the room. I swear he does. And, and it's like, and the, and the, the difference nowadays is, is um, that I know who he is and I know who I am. And that helps a lot. And that's, that's, that's a process. If you could actually witness that experience, he would come in and say, fuck you. And I would look back up and say, fuck you. So it would be, and, and therefore I am, I am completely whole at that point. I'm, you know, I don't have to be rid of him. I just need to understand that's, I don't buy it anymore. You know, and it's, and that's where the healing starts. Then, then as a, then what you find is that, that the pain and the difficulty becomes easier to, to process because you're not actually part, you're not part of the perpetrator. Yeah, so I want everybody to hear what Tom just said, because this is such an important point. The power is in you. See, when we think that I can't complete this unfinished business unless they change, unless they take, make, you know, take responsibility or, or come to us and ask for forgiveness and stuff, it's not, you're not, you know, you're not limited by that you can create this just like Tom just walked mm -hmm. you through that exercise. Mm -hmm. The power is in you and see a lot of times. Um, it, it's interesting, Tom, Jess was just listening to a podcast. I can't remember the person who was doing it, but, but one of her main thesis 
what, in terms of helping parents parent better is do not raise your kids to be victims. Right. And her whole approach is, is empowering her kids right from the get-go in terms of being able to take responsibility for their life. So it's, it's, it's like emotional sobriety, right, for parenting. You know, mm-hmm. it's really emotionally yeah. co- coaching those kids to be able to empower themselves, realize they have choices, to not let them fall into that victim mentality. Well, you're, so you're, you're basically raising emotionally sober children. You it's are. Like, you're, you're, exactly. you're basically raising children who won't, who won't need us, won't That's need right. people like us because, because, you know, like a friend of mine says, oh, my kids are going to, are, are, are going to have other problems, but they're not going to have the same problems I had. That's right. You know? And, and it's right. like, I love that. It's so good. I mean, it's such a powerful way because, you know, we're finally getting these ideas. They're starting to get integrated at all different levels, right? In terms mm-hmm. of how can we best show up in life to live a well-lived life? I mean, that's the bottom line here. And this is some of the technology that we're talking about. Yep. Another thing I took from your uh, tennis analogy was if you're embarking on a process of amends and um, taking care of unfinished business, it's good to do that with help, with support, with, you know, yes. be, the, be that a sponsor or, you know, some, uh, you know, Jedi tennis instructor. Yeah. Right. right. Or somebody just, just, just who's, a, who's a friend in the process with you. But yeah, the people, the, because we can all do that. And we do that for each other. You know, it's not just about nobody knows all this stuff. It's it's we can see things, you know, it's the old glasses on the head thing. You know, it's like I can't find my glasses. Well, two out of three of us know right where my glasses are right now because you're, you're looking at me in their own top of my head. And, and it's like there are just some things we cannot see in ourselves. That's so true. I think Alec Allen's working on his coloring book. The Jedi tennis instructor thing. (laughs) The Jedi tennis instructor. Well, you are that, and that is at least. And I would imagine that happens a lot. But but I would think that I mean, how much fun we're all we're you know we're all we're all going to end up in metaphors anonymous one day because we're so damn addicted to metaphors. But I mean, how about you getting to 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 be right in the middle of one of your favorite metaphors? as a tennis instructor, you know, that's right. You know, I, I envy, I envy my wife, Dee, who's a, who's an equine therapist because she works inside her metaphor. You know, it's like the metaphor is the relationship of the person and the horse. And, uh, and uh, it's like, it's well, they're, while they're working on it, it's, you know, she, she, they learn how it's a metaphor, but it doesn't start as a metaphor. It starts as a very, very specifically a, a relationship between that person and that horse. Uh, you know, I, 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 I'm a big fan of Dr. Um, Irvin Marion Polster, mm-hmm. and I was just looking at what they talk about in terms of unfinished business. So I just wanted to read this for me because it's so interesting. We've really talked about the two sides of the coin here that they talk about. So mm-hmm. they go, whenever unfinished business forms the center of one's existence, one's effervescence of mind becomes hampered. All right, do it again. Say that again. So when unfinished business forms the center of one's existence, meaning we're carrying around mm-hmm. a lot of money, one's effervescence of mind becomes hampered because we're constantly pulled by all this unfinished business. They go, yeah. ideally, the unencumbered person is free to engage spontaneously with whatever interests him and to stay with it until his lively interest subsides and something else draws his attention. 
he goes on to say, this is a natural process. And a person who lives according to this rhythm experiences himself as flexible, clear, and effective. I love, uh, I love the, the term unencumbered person. Yeah, isn't that? Because you know, we're always talking about letting go of things, putting things down. And certainly one of the things we do is things that are particularly heavy. We help lift off of people and that's put right. down. But that's, that's ultimately the freedom of this is that you are unencumbered. And, and, what, and, and, what, and what the pollsters say there directly is what does un, un, unencumbered take you to? It takes you to f- free choice. That's right. Being flexible, clear, and effective. Flexible, clear, and effective. I mean, that's a healthy, functioning individual. They he goes. They go on to say there are two polar hindrances which may interfere with this process, which which means finishing your business. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about these, but in a different way. But I think it's worth describing them from their point of view. The first is the obsession or compulsion which constitutes a rigid need to complete the old unfinished business, and which mm-hmm. leads to rigidity. Hmm. So it's like, I got to finish this. I got to do it right. It's like not letting it happen. Like you were talking about, there's yeah. a natural process to it. And if you try to control that process and you try to, to force it, it's not going to happen. Well, all the way back to what you said, Warren Buffett was talking about. That's if you, right. you, you have, you have an, you have an outcome already. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's good to have direction, but it's like to have a very, a very specific outcome you know, can be really a problem because, because, it, you know, that, that outcome may not even be an option. That's right. Then they said that the other side is the, is he calls it the, the labio mind, which leaves little opportunity for, for the person to experience what is happening because the focus is so fleeting as to prevent closure from developing and being experienced. So that's mm-hmm. the person that is not going to hold still to feel it. The other, the other person is holding on it. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to solve it. I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. The other one's, I'm not going to touch it. I'm not going to touch it. I don't want to touch mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. They're both, you're falling out of one side of the bed or the other. And what Tom mm-hmm. are saying and I are saying is stay in the middle of this, stay in the mm-hmm. middle of it. Now, sometimes, and this is the thing I wanted to get to today. Sometimes you have to intervene paradoxically with yourself. Now, what does that mean? You mm-hmm. might have to say, I, I'm not going to face this. I'm going to avoid this. I will never look at this. You have to make that declaration out loud, or you're going to say, I'm going to control this and I'm going to make sure it gets resolved in the way I want it to be resolved right now. (laughs) I mean, see, both of those declarations can get you to the point of letting go of that position and experiencing the other side. What we say, as soon as you own what you're really doing, then something new becomes possible. Right. But you can't experience something new until you own what is self acceptance. Acceptance is a powerful tool that we, you know, we come back to this point all, all the time. It's like acceptance. Pe- people mistakenly think acceptance means agreement. People think mistakenly think acceptance means I like it or, you know, I'm okay with it. It's like, no, acceptance just simply means, you know, that it's, you know, the reason, you know, I mean, this is a totally silly thing, but it's like the reason I don't go out, even though I would love to fly like Superman, the reason I don't go out and jump off the top of my, my house to see if I could do that is, is because I fully accept that that's not a possibility for me. It's like, it's like, so I don't get myself up that way. But, but the idea is so often what we do is we accept things prematurely as just fact. Yeah. And then we think, and we, and we believe we can't, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an unrealistic expectation. 
either either that I'm going to do it like you're saying, do it completely and perfectly and wonderfully exactly the way I'm going to predict it, or I'm I'm not going to do it at all. And I love the idea of of yeah, and I think that comes up a lot in therapy that I think of is is lots of different ways that I think one of the things that we do that is 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 we give pe- well we give people permission not to do it. It's you know one of one of the things that you know I have another quote, uh, little, little one liner about forgiveness that I use quite a lot that's uh, hanging on my office wall and and it's it says the first step to genuine forgiveness is to give yourself full permission to not forgive. There you go. You know, because because it's not a choice. If it's not a choice, then you're doing it because you think that you're you're somebody else wants you to do it, or Jesus wants you to do it, or somebody wants you to do this. And and it's like you're not giving yourself a choice. It's fine if if your choice lines up with what somebody else's belief is, but let it be your choice. That's right. Don't don't you know. So many ways we're just really un, we're unfair to ourselves. You know that double standard. It's like would you you know would you would you insist that another person if somebody else one of my favorite things to do is just to ask somebody if if we if you and I were sitting here talking to a, to another person if we had a, 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 a third person who was who was our client together would you say the same things to this this client that you're saying to yourself. And of course, immediately they're going, no, I would not do that. It's going like, okay, well, that's, you know, that's, that's that, uh, what I call negative arrogance. You know, it's like, it's a special rule just for you, yeah. you know, and it's not, it's not the fun kind of arrogance. It's the kind that basically I am, I am, you know, I am the piece of shit the world revolves around. I heard somebody describe it one time. Did you guys uh, actually knock out all your unfinished business? I mean, when yeah, you went through yeah, the I'm, process? I'm, yeah, I'm finished. Yeah, you're finished. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke. No, yeah, totally a joke. No, no, no. But I'm not. Like, you, you, no. it's really. So still, un- there's business oh, yet yeah. unfinished. Well, because oh, it's gonna keep. Yeah. See, life is gonna keep. You know, I was talking to you guys about this situation I'm dealing with now, and I'm in a process in terms of finishing it. You know, it was, there's some unfinished stuff in the conversation this Thursday is really to help me get to a a completion on this thing, you know, and I was telling you about it. So life is going to continually confront us with issues that need to be completed. Think of it that way, Patrick. What we're talking about is life presents us with issues that we're going to engage and that need to be completed in some way. We're gonna need to move towards resolution. Another way to call it is wholeness, right? We're always Mm -hmm. moving in that Mm -hmm. direction. So you're gonna hit something. You might be able to like, let's say you're sitting there and saying, you know, God, that that bean and cheese burrito sounds so good after we're done with this thing, I'm gonna eat that thing. Well, when Mm -hmm. you go eat it, you're gonna be finished with that bean and cheese burrito. You're not gonna be thinking about that anymore. Now, if you Mm -hmm. deprived yourself of that, then you're going to be creating some unfinished business until you take care of that burrito or whatever, until you take care of your hunger, essentially. Mm-hmm. So our needs and desires are presenting themselves to us all day long. Right. Most of the time, we're pretty good at just being responsive. And, you know, in Gestalt therapy, we call it responsible, responsible, being yeah, able yeah. to respond to our needs or desires to take care of them. Absolutely. We do that, they move on. But when you don't take care of something, let's say you were in a situation and you you were really hurt and you didn't cry those tears and you didn't talk to anybody about it, that's going to be unfinished for you. And it's going to hang around until you go back and find the words that would have 
really captured your experience at the time. I can't believe I'm going to say it this way, but it's like, I want to say, and correct me if I'm wrong, that's, that's kind of a wrong way to approach it is to think we're going to finish all our unfinished business. Wrong in the sense that that's, I don't believe that's a possibility. I think that what you're talking about is things will bump into us in life that then all of a sudden, you know, emotions don't exist in the past or the events do. And so if I feel an emotion that comes up all of a sudden, I'll be surprised by that. And I'll, so you tell me something about, you know, uh, this happened to me not too long ago where somebody said something about the loss of one of their pets. And and I and it tapped into to my relationship with with a golden retriever that I had that died many years ago. And all of a sudden, I was just I was just overwhelmed with with grief, you know. And just uh, you know, I didn't know that f those feelings were still there at that point. I grieved a lot and done that stuff, but but it points us to those places where we where we do attend we and what we do is we attend to it. And the, and the other piece I want to say too, Patrick, is that, that one of the mistakes I see that people make. It, it, the unfairly to themselves is when, when we have something that we, that we think we've processed and that we think I, I've learned those lessons and then they show up again later. Okay. Now what we immediately do, the, the, the negative saboteurs usually take advantage of that and come in and say, see there, you've learned nothing. You're, and, and what I realize is now I can give you plenty of examples and I'm sure Alan can too of times when we've learned nothing and we had you know and, and I'm one of my one-liners is God doesn't flunk anybody but he sure gives a lot of retests so we keep getting those retests over and over again but sometimes I, there's a chapter in my book embracing fear about this that I just call encore it's like it's sometimes we're coming back to the same lessons over and over again because as nearly as I can tell, and I have no, no factual objective knowledge about this. This is just my subjective experience with myself and other people. Sometimes we all, I think we all have certain, what I call life themes that we're going to be learning about all of our lives. That we'll be, we're, so it's, it's, we circle, circle, but we're not going in an actual circle. We're, we're spiraling. So each time we come around to that lesson, it's going to be from a little bit of a different angle. And we're going to be, and I, and I, the way in the book, what I do is I tell people, here's how you can tell if something is a life theme. If when it comes up, you hate it, that's a life theme because we get so tired of these things coming up, you know, uh, response, responsibility with money was, is, has been one of mine in my life. And it's, and it's like, it just kept coming and coming and coming. And, and I'm certain I've, I'm still, I have not seen the last of it, but I'm, you know, I make improvements and I do, I do better. And I do that. So one of the things I want people to do is if, if you're, if you're re-experiencing stuff that you think you've already worked through, do yourself a favor and don't attack yourself. Don't buy into that attack. It's, it's like, the idea is like, no, there may just be more to learn. And this, and I'm, I'm, I mean, I think, you know, if, if our life is a desk full of stuff, you know, I'm assuming that if we're really paying attention and doing the best we can, we'll all die with a full desk of stuff. You know, that is, when I drop off, I don't think I will have been finished if I'm, if I live to be 95, 96, maybe. I love your young enthusiasm, Patrick. <laughs> See, when I was your age, I used to think that way too. And I think the older we get, you just realize that the best you can do is take care of what's in front of you. It's going to keep coming. And I think I had this fantasy that someday I would just find that secret to life. And from that point on, life would just be fine. You know, oh, I remember coming out of a week-long uh, codependency, week-long intensive, when you know, early, like 1986. And I remember actually saying the sentence, I'm so glad I've taken care of that family of origin stuff. 
that's right there it was. I mean, I mean, you know, finish with it. How, how stupid am I? It's like, you know, it's like, you know, what, and we all know what the next scene is. You know, you've seen, yeah. you've seen that movie. Well, that I'm taking care of that. Well, what, you know, what is that sharp pain in my ass right now? Well, that's, you know, that's more of it to be had, but it's like, right. um, but but the other piece about that you're talking about uh, where Patrick is different in, in, in development with our, in his life is if if it's if what we're saying sounds discouraging, it, what I want to say is it's not. It's it is. I mean, maybe you have to go through that, but it's like it's like it really is. It really is just part of life, and it's like I mean, it's 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 not distressing. It's not distressing to me today. That part I would say that I have, and I bet as you do too, Alan, is the idea that that sometime, you know, in the history of, of the, our relationship, the three of us, you know, we've been through this before with with, some, with each of us and some different things. I'm going to hit some stuff that's going to be tough to deal with. And it's like, and one of the nice, the cool things about that is among other, you know, depth on the bench and support that I have in my life. Yeah. What I have after this wonderful silver lining that came from this horrendous COVID thing is I have the two of you as a part of my support system. I know that when we're getting ready to record it, if we're getting ready to record a, a podcast and we're talking beforehand, if I'm having a hard time, I don't have to keep that a, a secret. I, I take a minute and tell you what's going on with me. Yeah. But to use your, to continue your, your analogy of the desk, um, you know, piles of finished or unfinished business, mm. it's just healthy for a lot of business to be coming across that desk. And I mean, that's yeah. how, you know, you're really in it and you're, there you go. Yeah, and you're really attended to it. Great yeah. way to say it, Patrick. That's a great way to say that's, it. I love that. You know, and, and you know, sometimes this stuff gets finished with a, um, with a shift in perspective. I, I remember Dr. Mary Goulding. I went to one of her trainings at the evolution of psychotherapy conference she was the founder of what they called redecision therapy, which is they took gestalt therapy and transactional analysis and kind of created this hybrid, a hybrid. And it was really, it's really a very powerful way of working. And she was working with this therapist. She invited people to come up for a demonstration. And um, what he was talking about is that he always had this, this, he couldn't let go of the fact that he hurt his dad when he was younger. And she said, well, what happened? And she went through the story and, they enacted, so they just didn't talk about this, but I'll just talk about it because she had him play the father and then play himself and go back and forth. But I'll summarize what it was. So he was um, a sharpshooter and they would do these um, things on stage where he would like shoot plates and stuff like that. And it was a competition and it was a 22 uh, caliber round and um, they would have to load it so it couldn't penetrate the target and go beyond the, the targets, right? So you had to just the right amount of gunpowder to get it to go that whatever it was, 50 feet or whatever it was. So the dad was the loader for him, right? His dad was the one who would load these rounds and then they'd go to these competitions together. And dad was saying, you know, I'm experimenting with some new gunpowder and I want to test this thing to see how, how it is. So I, what, if you would, um, I want you to shoot me. <laughs> and son says, okay. So the dad goes 50 yards away or whatever the, the distance they have on stage is 50 feet. I guess not 50 yards. It would be 50 feet. And son's a good shot. And the dad turns and the son shoots him in the back. And the dad goes, ow. 
and all of a sudden the you know the son felt terrible oh my god i hurt my dad and took off his coat there was a big welt on his back and he says god i guess i got to adjust that that load uh, and it's just, you know it's just, that's too powerful mm-hmm. So his son carried his guilt around all his life about shooting his dad in the back. And, and it was like, literally, I love this story. And and she said, he says, she says, so what's unfinished with you? Well, I, I just feel so bad. I hurt him. She goes, you didn't hurt him. She, he goes, what do you mean? You just put a wealth on his back. He had a little physical pain for a minute, but he wasn't really hurt. I mean, it was just a transient thing that he realized that the guy had to change the powder up. And you should have saw the look on this guy's face at the moment that she framed it as you never hurt him. You put a little wealth on his back for a moment. He experienced a little amount of pain. In his whole life, he was carrying this idea like he had mm-hmm. devastated and like he had shot his dad and wounded him in the back, right? Like the mm-hmm. bullet went through him. Mm-hmm. It was unbelievable. At that moment, he let go of all of that guilt that he had mm-hmm. been carrying his whole life as an adult. And all she did is she changed the language of, of, of what he basically, the message he got at the moment that his father said, ow, you know, he turned that into I heard him, and it was just a, a moment of pain, and I had a wealth on his yeah. back. Yeah, turned it turned it from I hurt my dad to uh, whoops. You know, that, yeah, to whoops to whoops. <laughs> you see, that- and, and it, it's not even a whoops because ultimately, if you look at the story, he, what he did is he he he. But, but first of all, the, the father in that story, so, so literal, it represents self-responsibility. He's the one doing the loading. So he's the one that's going to find out whether it's going to do that or not. So, so he, so he's, you know, he's not putting somebody up, hey, get over there. Let me see how this works. You know, it, it's like, I know a lot of people who do that. It's like, it's like that's right. Yeah. Let me, let me try this on you. See let me try. <laughs> hey, Alan, move over there. Let me, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to shoot you. Uh, you know, it's like, um, no, but he did that. But the other thing is he learned something from it immediately that they basically made everything better. That's right. Immediately. Yeah. Some, and this is what Tom and I changed. Sometimes mm-hmm. these things can change like that. Mm-hmm. Things you've been carrying around your whole life can change yeah. in this moment when you get the right perspective. So yeah. what a great show today, guys. We got one more, mm-hmm. one more show left on Start Right Here, which has been an incredible journey. Yeah. That'll be our 40th show. Wow. I like even numbers. Well, and we want to say to the people who are listening is don't go anywhere because we're not, we're not going anywhere. We're not going. We're, 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 we're there's a, there's a transition happening here. We're moving yeah, to shape a shape shifting. We're shape shifting. We're shape shifters. Oh my yeah, God. Right. I've always that's wanted right. to shape shift. We are. And, and, and we're going to talk more about that next, next episode then, because we'll be and saying goodbye to the start right here. And the importance in carrying on, it's almost like part three to unfinished business is being able to have a complete goodbye when you need to. Love it. It's a spiral, not a circle. Goes round, round, round. Before solutions, be your own friend. Never see never in either direction. Look in the mirror. Trust the reflection Deep in your heart Start right here That's where it starts Right here Won't you look to your heart It's all